HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This series is brought to you by the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. Hi, I'm Kiki Luya, and this is Shift Work by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, a podcast bringing you stories from the heart of the restaurant industry. Each week, I'll introduce you to leaders who are working to transform hospitality. You'll also hear from folks who are in the restaurant trenches to hear firsthand some of the challenges they face. This week, I'm talking to Mavis J. Sanders, Director of Culinary Development and Education at Drive Change. But first, meet Reagan Draper, a restaurant worker from Chicago, founder of the Chicago Hospitality Accountable Actions Database, and a member of RWCF's Racial Justice Fund Steering Committee. A coworker of mine who identifies as a Black femme um, hospitality worker um, experienced a racist interaction with a guest um, that was very, uh, any racist interaction with a guest is traumatizing. Um, but this happened within a, um, a workspace that she was relatively new in. Um, she had been working there just for a few months and she didn't really know what the policies were. So she just kind of um, diffused the situation, um, handled it to the best of her abilities and um, told everyone else like not to go to that table um, until they were done with their experience, just to kind of diffuse the situation and get that guest finished with their dining experience as quickly as possible. The next day during a pre-shift meeting, she asked management if we could kick a guest out. Um, my coworker, and instead of um, answering her question, my coworker ended up um, having to navigate the emotional reaction of her white um, employers instead of receiving an answer to her question. And I bring up that story. Um, well, one, I think, I think we all need to accept the reality that we live in a, a very racialized country, unfortunately. Um, and the hospitality industry is just as racialized as our country is. I mean, it comes from a history of slavery. We all need to accept that. Um, no matter how equitable or fair your restaurant is, sexual harassment and racial discrimination is going to happen. You can't really control who walks in your door. And so the only way to really combat that is to have clear policies beforehand um, so that you're not left reacting to a situation. Instead, you're preparing for that situation and letting your vulnerable staff, your 
your marginalized staff know that when those situations come, this is how you plan on supporting them. Mavis J. Sanders is a chef and activist who worked at Blue Hill at Stone Barns and Untitled at the Whitney before re-examining her role in the culinary world. She has served as operations director of the Brownsville Community Culinary Center in New York City and is now leading education at Drive Change, a nonprofit that welcomes formerly incarcerated youth get quality jobs in the restaurant industry. Mavis J., welcome to Shift Work. Thanks for having me. You received a culinary degree from the Culinary Institute of America. Um, You worked in fine dining, um, but you made the leap to nonprofit work um, and nonprofit work that addresses inequities in the restaurant industry. Why did you make that change? It was a personal decision. (laughs) I I definitely, um, I I grew up in in food and like in love with fine dining and the razzle dazzle and pop and circumstance. Give me an excuse to celebrate anything and I will. Um, I, (laughs) I, um, when it comes to um, being in those spaces though, they tend to be very exclusionary. um, And it just started to weigh on me about like who I was feeding. Um, The fact that like only my parents um, who, you know, are uh, well-educated and professional people, the only people in my family who could ever afford to eat at the restaurants that I was working at. Um, and so uh, it, it, it just really, it, like every, it just started to like seep into my brain. And I was like, why can't I take these ingredients and feed them to my cousins who can't afford to eat, you know? Um, and so it just became like a mission in my head, like how do I feed the rest of my family? Um, and that's that's like where, where the work started for me. And that's how I approach feeding everybody at this point. It's just like, that's my family and how do I get them feed, fed? And so if you ever see me like out in the streets, it is so personal what I'm doing. Like I'm in it 100%. Yeah. And, you know, as um, I'll just kind of, you know, speak for myself here. And, you know, you have also been a woman of color in the kitchen and fine dining kitchens and, um, you know, uh, in a bunch of different establishments. And, you know, for me, I often was the only person of color, woman of color, especially in kitchens. What was your experience? Um, it's funny. I was actually having this conversation with somebody else last night who uh, has this, that similar thing going on. Um, and then we had queer bodies on top of that. Um, and it's always, I think there is a level of like knowing like when you're uh, like if you have that experience, like you know that there's always a level of BS that you're sifting through, like constantly. <laughs> um, uh, that whether you realize it, like you wake up to it. It's not at this point. It's not even anything that you think about. Um, so it would have to be something like extraordinary to like throw you, me off my game. Um, and um, it's also the thing of like you, it's like constantly having to navigate. Um, whether or not, if people don't think you're, don't believe you, they don't know your story, then it's not real. Um, and so having to navigate those places and find uh, safe places, people that you can talk to, people who do have similar experiences, um, mentors, either be it like directly uh, somebody who has been through the same, similar situation 
or somebody in another industry adjacent that has been through a similar situation. Um, I think I'm very grateful, especially um, in those spaces. I know there's a lot of Black bodies that have come before me and who have also been an only um, in those spaces. And I don't know what they did in that space, but I know that they have passed the, like they've cleared the path for me to be there. And so I always try to like remember that and then also do the same to like fight for a little bit of like a little bit more space to bring more people into that space. So, um, and like with the advice of like, be careful. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Right. Right. I think that's, that's, you know, something so important that I just, I want to like shout out a little bit more is like mentorship is so important, right? Just like finding someone who looks like you, who has a similar experience to you, who's, you know, been in the industry doing what you want to do, who inspires you. Um, that can mean so much. And, you know, it's also, it just kind of like begs the question, like, why aren't there more black, brown, and queer bodies in positions of leadership in the restaurant industry, right? Um, but mentorship is huge. I mean, I, I think speaking of mentorship, you know, so Drive Change as an organization, right, is like a multifaceted program. It supports incarcerated youth um, and gives them restaurant like on the job training. Um, do you know if you can, you know, maybe speak to what the genesis of this program was and why that population? So originally it was the founder um, was a teacher on Rikers. And um, that's like, that's where it started. Like they were just there and they were realizing that there was there. I think it was a, it was a white person. And so I think it was just like a a person who had a lot of privilege um, in their life. And I think it was like really starting to hit home, like on a very like uh, real basis because they were in it and could see it happening. Um, The inequities and food being an industry that has like a low barrier to entry um in you know uh when it comes to like getting a job uh i think that they put the two together and wanted to offer you know uh training food training like on a food truck um and have that be a way uh for those young people to have some kind of like self-determination uh coming out of incarceration sure so could you tell me about your work with the program fellows? What what has been your experience? It's actually, it's super amazing. Um, I, uh, I, it's challenging, I'll tell you that. Um, I think anytime you get to work with young people, it's, it's inspiring. Like they just have like a different perspective. Um, I think particularly people coming um uh, reentering society or coming out of incarceration um, face a whole host of different challenges um, than any um, anybody else of any other kind of experience. Um, and so there's a level of um, patience and listening and understanding um, that I have gained over time, um, especially like coming out of restaurants, like in restaurant industries, when you're working a line, it's like, yes, and now. Um, that's it and so um like getting rid of that like because that like seeps into your body like into your bloodstream into your bones right so like being able to even get rid of that is liberating and to like sit and listen and like work through I think the biggest thing for me um in like comparison to 
program, different kinds of programs that happen out there and like why they work and why they don't work. I think the biggest thing in the last couple of years that um, uh, I've had the privilege of working with one of our young people, um, his name was Dupree, and he had been out in the industry, had gone through the program, been out in the industry. And now he works um, with me directly um, every day. And he was such a strong worker um, and he had held a job consistently. Um, and he was a strong worker and he was just like, I don't understand why I'm in this restaurant and I've been here and I've trained people and I don't ever get to move. I just stay here. And, um, and he was getting really frustrated and he felt like people were like talking down to him or always othering him or seeing him as like a charity hire. And like they had done their job by hiring him. And when we started to work together, um, he and we started and like we started like working on getting him more exposure and he like started to be able to develop like more of a curiosity but then also like this whole like this like when we were talking about mentorship um the ability to uh be able to like make mistakes and not have it be a threat on like your ability to make a living right because i feel like there's a lot of young people or people in the world who have the opportunity to like make a thousand mistakes. But whenever uh, you have like a stigma attached to you, it's, it's like, you feel like there's a lot riding on everything. Every single moment is critical. Like every single thing can like lead to another moment of crisis. And you're always trying to avoid that instead of just being able to be and live and learn through making mistakes um, and learning like how to be a leader and how to, um, like really think about the bigger picture. And I think the biggest thing that we're doing right now when it comes to our fellows is um, just like that critical thinking, that problem solving, um, like teaching that, right? Like the, like the hard skills, most anybody can learn to cut an onion, right? But when it comes to um, like why we're using these onions or why things are cheaper during this and like how... I need to order, ordering from different places, like pricing things, um, responsibility, like who, like the responsibility of the food and who you're serving it to. Like you don't get that in most restaurant jobs. And if you have that knowledge, you can go into a restaurant job and automatically be like, I shouldn't be peeling potatoes. I should be leading your line. Yep. I should have specials on the menu, right? Yeah. Right. So, and I'm not even trying to jump to them, you know, having um, specials on the menu like day of, but like, I need you to see that this person has the ability, they, they're, they're thinkers, they're not workers, right? They're thinkers, they're dreamers, they're, they're innovators. They're like young people are so much creativity, <laughs> right? Like they have so much creativity. They're so inspiring. They're so, like so artistic. Um, there's always like new tech and tools that they like have easy access to and they're always like developing with and they're so creative, you know, just giving them that time to like grow. Best part, best part of my job. I love that. You know, it, it like, it brings me back to when I was, um, I won't name the restaurant, but I was working at a restaurant in Chicago and we'll just keep this one a secret. Um, but, <laughs> but I remember, you know, it's a, a lot of times, and there's a lot of conversation lately about, um, you know, is what does it mean to be a chef, right? And 
Um, I think chefs often, it's like people associate the food and especially if you have a good experience, right? It all goes back to the chef. But what ends up happening is that the people who support that work, right, who are the ones who are peeling potatoes, who are the ones who are doing the dishes, who are the ones who are making the restaurant work, get kind of like pushed into the shadows. Bringing it back to drive change, I think one of the things that I so much respect um, about what it is that you do over there is it's more than just about like supporting youth, right? It's like it's about creating systemic change and like looking at the industry and being like, you have to be better in order to do this work, right? And so how is drive change and how are you working with restaurants and owners to like reimagine hospitality? Um, and I think even if we can dig deeper, like what does it mean to be an equitable, supportive workplace? Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we actually do have a program that we've developed and have been developing for years um, called Hospitality for Social Justice. And it is just that it is a um, a space to like start the work. I'm going to say start. <laughs> um, and it is um, like a pay for play kind of situation where if it's meant for um, power holders in the hospitality industry, in the food sector to come um, and pay for the service to be in this class with us. It's a series of like six classes um, and they're like three hours each. And it's about um, having a space to like really um, educate yourself with us and then start to like work through how uh, like white supremacist structures show up in your job, in the structures that you've put in place that you've been taught. Cause a lot of people don't even like have the, the education to know, like they're, you can tell them broad brand things, but they don't, they don't, they disassociate that from what they're doing on a day to day. Right. Um, and so to actually like have the space for even some of our team members to be vulnerable, be vulnerable to be like, hey, I was in the industry and I was a leader and I thought I was doing great and this is how I was a sh shitty leader. And this is how like I was, you know, being oppressive. This is how like I was allowing these systems to form and like perpetrating these things and perpetrating harm to other people, my young people and the staff that I said I cared about. Um, and that moment right there really kind of opens the room for everyone, I feel like. Um, and like, let's be real about it. Let's talk about specifics and it's a cool, you know what I mean? Like we, we all honor, you know what I mean? That this is a safe space and that it's a private space and like nobody's going to go out and say anything about what was said in this room. Um, but I know that it, <laughs> I know that it works because people sometimes, you know, they quit their jobs after they're like, I um, can't affect change the way I want to in this place and I'm going to leave. And there's other people who um, are in positions of power and they're like working for, you know, um, larger companies and they stay in there as a means to like infiltrate and like create create safe spaces for young people, especially young people um, of color or anybody who's like coming from uh, a background that is, you know, uh, statistically like oppressed. Absolutely. You know, that's a really great way to, to like open up dialogue and make people feel, you know, safe about it is like realizing that like we all hold white supremacy within ourselves, right? And so we have to like deconstruct our own beliefs in order to like deconstruct the system, right? But like the recognition that like everyone has like 
you know, upheld these beliefs to varying degrees. I think like for me, honestly, like that was one of the, even like as a black woman, when I realized that about myself, like, oh, like I allow this behavior, right? Like I, I'm still existing within like white supremacist systems. And as if it's just like commonplace, because it's like the only thing that I know. And like, once we all kind of get to a place where we're like, mm, you know what? No, I'm tired of this. I can't operate like this anymore. I think is like when we can actually start to have real conversations about change and not just like, well, throw up some black squares on our Instagram and like pretend, you know, we're well Ooh. for the day. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, you know, I saw a lot of a lot of things last year and now I'm kind of wondering like, well, where where are you? What are we doing now? You know, like, how is the industry going to change? Actually, and I, I'd love to ask you that. Like, you know, what has changed? Like, you know, since 2020, right? Since everyone was kind of saying, oh, you know, like after all the George Floyd stuff and people were really starting to have conversation, it seemed, around like how the industry needs to be more conscious of like their own racial biases. Has anything changed? I think that a lot of, people have expanded the vocabulary and have really learned what and how to participate in performative justice. And they put on a really great show um, and good for um, their egos, you know? Um, and some people even are like, I took a two hour course on, uh, or I watched like a two hour webinar and now, you know, I'm super woke and I understand these things, but still, if you're not doing the work to actually say like, how am I, uh, how am how, how 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 am I still upholding these systems? Then it doesn't it doesn't actually work. You know what I mean? Like somebody could sit here and teach you like you know how uh, like I can I can show you a class on how to make pizza for sure. But if you never put your hands together like into a flower, then you're not gonna know how to make the dough. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter like what what you saw. That doesn't make you educated on it. Um, and I feel like. Um, I feel like, actually, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel a little disappointed in uh, in some some sectors of our industry um, because there, when you're a leader in the industry, like you should really you have the opportunity to be out front um, and like make real change. And there haven't been enough um, like highly recognized leaders that have stepped up and done something different. People have been like, oh, I'm going to now pay somebody twenty five dollars an hour. Yeah, but if you're like none of your practices has changed, like what is then nobody like that's not helping anybody, right? Like yes, there are pieces of ourselves that we have all like compromised and sold off like for the right price in hopes to get somewhere else. But like twenty five dollars an hour ain't gonna be it. Like especially no, no, like no, like that's not gonna <laughs> make anybody move. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna be uncomfortable here. I'm gonna be uncomfortable there. I'd rather be uncomfortable at my house. Um. I don't, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. I'm disappointed. You know what I mean? And, and politicians that are like standing up on platforms and front of the world talking about low skill workers and how I'm, I'm disappointed about all, <laughs> all of it. And I feel like our, our industry is still in the middle of a reckoning. And that's why restaurants are still um, closing left and right, because restaurants are supposed to be food centers. They're supposed to be pillars of community. And when you take that and you sell that community in order for it to be all about profit, then you're going to fail eventually you know what i mean like that's that's just gonna be that i've in this covid jump like especially with this overcron situation like i've heard people tell me like come back and tell me like oh like at work 
they didn't want to close down like over the holidays. And so they just told us not to go get tested. Wow. And really? it was like, what? Right. Because if they don't like, know. Mm, yeah. Then, that's yeah. Right. And it's just like, yo, is this what we're doing? Like you like, and I can't tell those people anything, but I have to like, you should leave. You should report them and you should leave. You know what I mean? Like, I'm talking about just like, like wage workers, like not people who have like, you know, um, power to like determine like whether or not to shut down a restaurant, you know what I mean? But people, if you were a server and you're hearing that, like there is nothing safe about that space. You got to go. No, not at all. Yeah. Well, cause obviously they care more about profit than people. And they've they've essentially shown you that you are as good as the production that you can do for them. Not they're not considering you as an individual, your own safety, the safety of others, the safety of their diners, for that matter. It's about their individual ego, like longevity, like it's all selfish, right? It's it's so selfish. It's not about the diners. I don't even know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's necessarily like about. Like, I don't know, like, the people that they are around are like, I, I can't even imagine you thinking about somebody else and saying that. Like, you are only about you and you are willing to sacrifice anyone else or anything else in order to make sure that you and your establishment can continue because you see people as replaceable. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, speaking of the diners and maybe just speaking to the diners, what can they do? Like, what are, how can they check their own behaviors? What can they do to support better restaurants? Yeah, I think you have to, you have to be willing to ask more questions. Um, just because people use a lot of buzzwords um, doesn't mean that they're actually practicing those things. You know, like, ask, ask the questions, you know, sit down. Um, you know, if you're over there and you're looking at the menu, uh, be it paper or on your phone, and just, just like you would ask, you know, is this state, you know, ethically sourced? Ask them about their wages. Ask them about, like, wage transparency in the restaurant. Like, ask the question. You can ask the question, right? Like, we've learned to do that. You've learned to be like, is there gluten in this, right? Like, hey, is, is there slavery in the back of this? Like, what's happening? Can we have that conversation? Like, ask. Yeah. You'll probably get a really real answer, too, um, being curious. <laughs> I mean... So Mavis, I think we are going to take a short break um, and then come back with some rapid fire questions, if you're okay with that. Okay, sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. We'll be back with more shift work after a short break. This series is brought to you by the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. We are a nationwide community dedicated to making the restaurant industry more hospitable for everyone. By addressing quality of life issues that disproportionately affect restaurant workers, 40% of whom live on poverty level wages, we hope to strengthen the workforce and increase opportunity for advancement in the industry to more people. The restaurant industry is notorious for low wages, poor job mobility, high turnover, and burnout. But it doesn't have to be that way. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to learn more about what we're doing to make change and join us. Welcome back to Shift Work. On this episode, we've been focusing on issues of racial justice in the hospitality industry. We'll get back to my conversation with Mavis J. Sanders shortly. First, John DeBerry, RWCF's co-founder and board president, 
has some resources to share. Hi, I'm John DeBerry, co-founder and board president of Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. Did you know that when it comes to rooting out racism in restaurants, it has to start from the top with owners and managers? But there's also room for collaboration and solidarity at all levels of employment, according to Regan Draper, founder of the Chad Project and an RWCF grantee. Here are some baseline rules for engaging your whole team in the work of anti-racism. First, encourage everyone to speak out against racism and discrimination and create a safe space where people can share experiences openly. Second, ask employees about the biggest barriers to their success and how those can be removed. Third, give employees the option to participate in policy changes, but don't make assumptions about who has the time, energy, or desire to chip in. It's not fair to burden colleagues and employees who might already face oppression in their day-to-day lives with this work. When you do hold staff meetings and training sessions, keep the group small to encourage conversations and authentic engagement, and make sure conversations are intersectional. They should address issues for members of all marginalized communities across race, gender, ability, and others. Ready to get started? Get resources and training opportunities via Hospitality for Social Justice at drivechangenyc.org, High Road Restaurants at highroadrestaurants.org, and Adding Racial Equity to the Menu, an Equity Toolkit at raceforward.org. All right, Mavis J., let's do some rapid-fire questions. Are you ready? Let's go, let's go, let's go. Okay. Name one thing every restaurant in America could do to foster equity. Pay transparency. Ooh, pay transparency. Nice. What's one resource you'd recommend to owners who want to make their restaurants more supportive? Come check us out at Hospitality for Social Justice at drivechangenyc.org. Boom. Plug. What nonprofit or chef or even, say, public figure would you like to collaborate with? Well, there's so many. Um, The first person who came to mind, honestly, was Karen Washington. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Give me a why. I mean, besides, uh, there's obvious, but yeah, what's your why? <laughs> um, I just, um, I love her relationship and how she sees food. Um, and I mean, I think being in that space and being creative and telling a story together would be so amazing. Um, thank you for making me say that out loud because I'm going to contact her about it. I'm going to do it this year. Yes. Yes. You said it, you put it into existence. It will happen. Um, tell me one story or even just a thing that gives you hope. I had a young person come, <laughs> come to me and uh, they said that they wanted to, um, I, I had a young person come to me and said that they wanted to um, do a video series. And I said, you're going to have to learn how to be a writer. And I said, I don't want to write. And they walked away. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then the next day they came back to me and was like, you're right, I need to be a writer. And I was like, yes, thank you. Oh, yes. What made them change their mind? I think they just had to think about it. Because I was just like, you're going to have to write. Like, you're going to have to be able to, like, um, you know, like, write your own copy. If you're going to have a web series, that means that you need a website, which means that you need to be able to, like, write, like, blog posts or anything like, like that about it. Like, you're going to still have to, like, have like a good writing background and the next day she kind of slid in and she was just like yeah i gotta learn how to be a writer so i was like yeah let's work on that yeah like push through fear and do the work i love that um okay last but not least what are you most excited about for 2022 so when i left (laughs) when i left fine dining um i um was at a place where they were like selling chickens 
for like thirty dollars, like raw chickens for people for like thirty dollars, and that's reasonable. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know the chickens—they cost money. They do. Like food costs money, you know. <laughs> um, but the chicken costs thirty bucks, you know. Um, and last, and then I went upstate like last year, and I met a farmer. It's a black farmer, and he's like, "I'm raising these same chickens, and I have to charge. I, I have to like uh, sell them at two dollars less." then my white counterpart is selling them and he was just saying how much that was hurting and then he couldn't get them out um and he was uh also talking about the issues of like logistics and you know getting stuff into the city because he's like way way upstate um and i bought all of it i bought out all of his chickens and then uh fed them to the marcy houses for free um and it was probably um one of the like when i left fine dining like I said, like what I said I wanted to do was to take the food that we had been making and make it readily available for everyone, especially the people who needed the most, those ingredients, like how they like nurture your body. And I'm so I was able to like support a black farmer, right? And it was also us supporting our community, like who were dealing with food insecurity day in and day out. That's beautiful. That's what I would yeah, that's what I want to continue to do. Um, that's why, you know, like our fellowship that we're running now, we had been sending people out. Um, into the industry, and that's still an option. But we're also creating jobs for them him, here now. Oh my gosh, Mavis J, that is um, that's so beautiful. That actually gives me hope, right there. That story, I love that. I love that you you made that connection, and it seems so seamless. Um, and it sounds like it's so gratifying. Um, that's our that's our rapid fire question segment. I mean. I almost don't want to let you go. I've so enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us um, on Shift Work today. It has been a pleasure. Pleasure has been mine. And like, you know, whether, you know, keep this or cut it out, but thank you for all that you do in our industry and like continuing to um, also, you know, be a partner in, in, in justice and equity and um, be that, you know, everything that happens out front and in front of the world and everything that happens behind the scenes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Shift Work. To learn more about RWCF's work and donate to the cause, visit www.restaurantworkerscf.org. Thanks for joining us on the podcast and in the work as we bring you stories from the heart of the restaurant industry. Links to the organizations and resources mentioned in this episode can be found in our show notes. I'm your host, Kiki Luya. Our engineer is Liam Warner. And the show is produced by Hannah Forden and Caroline Hatchett. Shift Work is produced in collaboration with Heritage Radio Network, America's pioneer food podcast network. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.